Welcome back to the Colt House Podcast. I am your host, the scholar of spite and the Saturday Night Delight, Roger Riddell. Joining me today, she's the vocalist for Capra and one-third of the triple threat behind the Terror Takeover Podcast, Crow Lotus. How are you doing today, Crow? I'm doing good. How are you? Thanks for the podcast plug. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm uh, doing pretty great over here. I think uh, just based on you know what I've been able to figure out about you as well, just from you know social media and everything, uh, I think we are both people who this is like our time of year. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm like thriving. I always say like, this is whenever, uh, the time of year when my cold heart thaws out and I come alive for 31 days and then I just go back to sleep for the rest <laughs> of the year. So <laughs> yeah. Um, so I guess just with that in mind, uh, before we get to Capra, tell me about the terror takeover podcast and you know how that came about. Yeah, so that's actually, um, we just started that like a few weeks ago, basically, but um, well, started um, as far as the public knows, but we've been working on it for months now. Um, I think we started doing the recording in June and then um, basically late summer, I've just been gone um, for tour for, uh, we were gone for Europe and then we left for a tour with Zao. And so I kind of had to put it uh, on the back burner for a bit, just because uh, I didn't want to like do a half-assed like release and then just not be able to focus on it. So we decided like, we might as well just wait until October because it's spooky season. So like, it's the perfect timing and uh, we've kind of just been loving it. It's me and two of my friends and uh, yeah, we're just talking about things that we love. <laughs> yeah. I think I saw that the next episode's about uh final girls, right? Yeah. Um, we're like way stoked on that one. That was like my favorite episode so far. And we've already recorded, I think it was seven. Um, but that one was just like the one that I was kind of looking forward to. Uh, well, I'm not going to say the most because there's a, there's another one that we did that was my personal favorite, but I don't want to like say anything about it just yet. But, um, but yeah, I really enjoyed the final girls episode. Yeah. That's, um, probably one of my favorite tropes in like all of horror, uh, Mm -hmm. because like I kind of, lean towards slashers the most um right just because i like that juxtaposition of like it's this big imposing like i guess sort of like male like monster but then it's always <laughs> the girl who kind of you know who pushes back and is like no i'm not going to take this shit anymore right and we kind of um talk about how like the idea of what a final girl is has changed over the years and i think that's like probably one of the most interesting things about it is it's like it doesn't necessarily have to be the same as what it was before, which is like the innocent, like virginal brunette girl, you know, who ends up like just being put in this um, situation that she just could never have imagined having been having been in. And um, now there's like um, they've allowed allowed people to, I guess, like kind of stray from that particular trope. So now it's not quite so static. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever seen like the comic Hack Slash, but like the premise of that is that it's a final girl who uh, 
gets sick of being a final girl and she decides she's going to actually like hunt down slasher killers and take them out. Oh first. yeah. Yeah. That's pretty <laughs> sick. Love that. <laughs> yeah. No, I, um, I was actually like recently watching Friday the 13th for the first time in a long time, like the original mm-hmm. and it just kind of like struck me at the same time too, with like that movie you don't really see Jason until like the movie's almost over. And like, I don't right. know if like audiences now have the patience for that kind of buildup of suspense. Right. Well, you don't see him as the Jason that we all know until actually, I think it's the third movie, right? Yeah. Like he's not even like the hockey mask wearing Jason um, until he gets it from the character Shelly. But in the second movie, it's him, you know, but he's got like a bag over his head, which in my opinion is like way scarier. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, they ended up building up his like classic look. Um, it wasn't until three movies in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of like the whole um, uh, just making like a comic reference again, but like Scarecrow and Batman, like he's a lot scarier when he's wearing a burlap sack as opposed mm-hmm. to like wearing a goofy scarecrow head. Right. Why are we so afraid of burlap sacks? Like maybe that'll <laughs> be a podcast episode. <laughs> What's with the burlap sack? <laughs> What do we have ingrained within us that makes us so terrified of it? Yeah. Um, so what are, I guess, maybe like your your go-to horror movies this time of year? Like, what are the things that you have to watch every, like, Halloween? Um, so every Halloween, um, obviously, I rewatch Halloween. It's one of my favorites. I have a lot of, um, I like some pretty niche stuff, but um, I am, like, a huge fan of the classics. Um, I think they're classic for a reason. I always rewatch. I try to rewatch all the Friday the 13th movies over the course of October. Um, I try to watch like some new stuff if I can. Um, but I think for the month of October, um, Pumpkinhead, love to rewatch Pumpkinhead around o- October. Um, Jeepers Creepers is another one that I like to rewatch whenever I get the chance. Um, but it kind of changes, I guess, every year. Other than Halloween and Friday the 13th, I kind of will try to swap it up a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I'm a big Halloween guy, and then I'm also just really into Evil Dead. Uh, yeah, me like too. Especially the Ash versus Evil Dead series. I got so like bummed out that they canceled that. Yeah, I actually started watching that one, and I never like got around to finishing it. But I need to like go back and really give it some time. It just seems so like there's so much going on, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm somebody that gets distracted easily, so if there's a lot going on in a show, I'm like, let me just walk take get up and like take a walk around the house and then I'll like forget that I was watching a show and it just ends up being it's hard for me to concentrate yeah because it was like 30 minute episodes too and they just like crammed a lot into that like short yeah right yeah definitely yeah so uh Capra has a new album out uh called Errors on uh Metal Blade it's been out uh I guess almost a month now uh two or three weeks um Tell me about the process for that album and, uh, you know, how it kind of differed from your all's debut album. Um, it's It was definitely easier to write um, just because for the first album, didn't really know what I was doing, um, didn't really know what I wanted to write about. And I think after uh, we wrote the first album, I was like, well, hey, here's some things that I wish I would have said. Um, and so I think Errors is kind of like, a big example of like all of the things that I wish I would have said, you know, if I would have thought of it at the time. So it was kind of a way to um, redeem myself, I guess, from the first album. And I was a lot more confident of a songwriter. So um, I think that honestly, in my opinion, I think that this album is um, just in my personal opinion, much better than the first, but I know that a lot of people, I really enjoyed the first one as well. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this album was kind of my introduction to the band and I really like just the overall like crossover vibe that you all have. And I feel like your vocals add a lot on top of that. Uh, I know that like some of the songs, uh, you know, you've mentioned that you really wanted to explore more like, uh, you know, these feelings of depression and hopelessness and maybe they right, don't okay. need to have like a happy ending. But exactly, it also yeah. stuck out to me that you've got like a lot of declarations of like self-worth like embedded in there still too, which is, I think is yeah. a lot, yeah. Yeah, that's, um, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I think that um, a lot of the time when we're afraid to be angry or we're afraid to like focus on like what actually is the root of the problem, um, it prevents us from being able to become better versions of ourselves or from healing. Um, so it's like, we think that we're doing ourselves a favor by not allowing ourselves to hurt or not allowing ourselves to be angry, but then it's like, okay, well, you're really just suppressing the issue. And um, if you kind of, I don't want to say allow yourself to go totally apeshit, but if you allow yourself um, to experience, um, suffering, then only then can you actually begin to heal from it and, uh, become a stronger version of yourself, in my opinion. Yeah. Cause like, there's, I think there's a lot of people who are just like, kind of walking around as not the best, like possible versions of themselves they could be. And it's because they're carrying stuff that they refuse to like, really think about and confront and like process. Right. Well, the way that I see it um, is, yes, it totally sucks to approach just issues that you may have head on. It's really scary. It's totally daunting. But I will say that you're there's no way around the suffering and you're it's going to find its way to affect you. Um, so maybe instead of just like experiencing this really like vulnerable um horrible like explosion kind of uh for lack of a better word over the course of you know maybe a shorter period of time you're just going to carry that weight around with you for could be like decades you know there are people that you meet that are older um and you think how are you i hate to like say it like this but how are you at this age you're a grown adult but you can tell you've got so much maturing to do and you're just allowing yourself to hurt because of it it's like and i guess maybe they just don't know you know um why would you want to continue carrying that around? Why wouldn't you want to just, you know, get it out of your system? But, um, but I get that it's not uh, really that simple for everybody. And I think maybe a lot of people don't even realize they're carrying around that weight. Yeah. And I think a lot of people also like, don't understand that it's going to be even more painful when they've carried it and it's built up over years and years right. and years. And then it all just like crushes them at once. Right. Yep. My favorite phrase, I don't even remember where I read this, but I read it somewhere. It says the only or the um something about the quickest way through the the ah the only way around the fire is through it or something like that. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it's basically saying like you just have to just experience it kind of like for the short period of time, just go straight through it and then it's done. You know, like yeah, you got burned and it sucked, but you're on the other side, it's done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know on the previous album, one of the songs that you wrote was about sleep paralysis. And mm -hmm. uh, oddly enough, that's something that like I've experienced before as well. And it's always been interesting to me that it like hits everyone in different ways. Yes, definitely. It's kind of like your, um, I don't know if you, if you're a big gamer guy or anything like that. Yeah. Um, but there was a Silent Hill game that came out um, a few years ago, and I don't remember exactly the name of it, but it was one where the game had like an AI in it, where depending on the things that you looked at throughout the game, it would build like your perfect nightmare. I don't know if you remember when that one came out. Oh, I haven't played um, that one. 
but it would have, I never played it either, but just like from reading about it, it would have like pictures of like, for example, um, there'd be like pictures of girls in bikinis on the wall or just like little things like um, a baby's room or a crib or just things like that. And they said, whatever you pay the most attention to, it kind of like started to realize like, or build a profile for what kind of person you were and it built your perfect nightmare. It's kind of what sleep paralysis is for me is I feel like it's everyone's perfect nightmare. It's your body's way of finding the things that um, that you fear the most and making you confront them head on, which is like something so truly terrifying. And that's why I say, if you've never experienced it, um, there's just no way to explain it to you. Um, and the way that I experienced it um, and the way that I've heard um, other people talk about it is the best uh, word for the feeling is like it feels like this sense of evil like this sense of just impending doom and it's like you don't you may not even necessarily know exactly what it is but it's like this this is bad this is like the worst kind of thing you know it's my worst possible nightmare and um it's a really terrifying experience yeah yeah like the the worst time that I ever like experienced it I woke up in like the middle of the night and I felt like someone was sitting on my chest and like punching me Yeah, and it yeah. felt like it was actually happening and yeah. they're just like punching and screaming. And then all of a sudden they just like float up into the ceiling and I'm just like, what the fuck was it's that? It's not normal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that wasn't, well, that wasn't real. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I've definitely had some experiences where um, I thought that it was somebody, somebody was like uh, restraining me. And then it was like, wait a minute. I've had it uh, happen where I was in the dark and I thought somebody was like attacking me. And I was like, oh my God, I, you know, didn't know what was going on. Then finally my eyes adjusted and I was like looking straight at the ceiling and I was like, there's nobody here, you know, but I've had so many different, um, so many different experiences with it. And I've had experiences where I've seen an actual like thing, um, which can be like a shadow person is usually what it is. It's just like a kind of amalgamation of just like dark air basically. Um, but then I've also had experiences where there isn't anything. And I just have this feeling where I just want to scream and I don't know why. Um, there have been times where I've been like, just chilling. I'm like laying in bed. And then I convince myself there's something in the closet, even though I can't see anything. And then I'm like, I have to get out of here, but I can't move. I can't get up. I can't run. And I'm just convinced that the thing is going to come out of the closet and come toward me. It's just a lot of like really really weird, just like random stuff. And thankfully as an adult, I don't experience it um, as much anymore. I would say I experience it incredibly rarely. It'd be at least once, like, you know, every couple of months, it's really, really um, not as frequently. And I think it's because I know what it is before when you have no idea what it is, your body's like, yeah, it's a free for all. I can just do whatever I want to your brain. But when you start to educate yourself on why exactly it's happening, um, it just starts happening a lot less, at least in my own experience. Yeah, yeah, I think it's been like a maybe a decade for me since the last time I had like any like major occurrence of it. And it's probably for the same reason. Right. Definitely. Yeah. I um <laughs> when I lived in Kentucky uh back in like high school and like uh college or whatever, um I had a girlfriend at the time who was convinced that her house was haunted and she would have kind of like a sleep paralysis thing at times where she usually slept like face down and she would feel like someone was sitting on her back and like trying yeah. to like hold her face down. Mm -hmm. And she would have like unexplainable, just like random scratches every now and then after this would happen. Oh, that's creepy. <laughs> I was about to say, yeah, that makes sense that she would think it was haunted because she's having these experiences, but then the scratches are kind of unexplained, but yeah, yeah, that's pretty scary. 
Yeah, we actually have a word for, uh, we're from Louisiana, but we have like a word and I'm going to totally butcher this, but um, we have this idea that there's like an old woman demon and she's like the sleep paralysis demon um, in like Cajun folklore. And I think her name oh, yeah, is like old Kush- hag. Kushma or something is what we yeah. call her. So um, yeah, that's, I don't, I don't know why, but um, for some <laughs> reason, everybody always likes uh, describes sleep paralysis around here as an old woman, but um, for me, it's always just kind of been like a form, you know, I've never seen, thankfully I've never met the old hag herself, but. Yeah. Yeah. And um, being in Louisiana, are you like close enough to new Orleans that you ever got to go to like the house of shock when that was open? Um, I'm like two hours from new Orleans. Um, so I definitely could have, but I just never did. Um, I always wanted to, cause they always played like shows there. There was always concerts and stuff, which was way sick. But um, I was also a little bit younger at the time. So I would have had like, well, I think maybe they were all ages, but I wasn't really traveling to New Orleans by myself a lot, you know, as a kid. So um, by the time I turned 18, I had like maybe a few years that I could have been able to go. And I ended up just hesitating and not making it. And now, you know, now obviously it's closed down, which is sad, but we still have a couple of um, really actually um, nationally renowned uh, haunted houses in the area. So we're pretty well known for them. Yeah, and uh, Louisville, when I was growing up, we had like the Waverly Hills Sanatorium, which is pretty sick. I've never heard of that one. It was like an actual like tuberculosis sanatorium back in the day. Oh, wow. So supposedly it was just like super haunted and you could go on like a thing where there were two different tours that you could buy. One was just like a standard haunted house. uh, And then the other one, they after that tour they take you through actual parts of the sanatorium but with the lights totally turned off it like oh yeah and uh i think there were like other tours you could take during the normal part of the year where they would show you like the shoot where they just like slid the bodies down to the morgue building and like all of that but uh, there was a festival that they held on the grounds of that building uh one year too that was um uh, it was that year's Sounds of the Underground tour in like 2007. So that was really cool because I got to see like Guar and Lamb of God and Behemoth oh, nice. and like all these other bands playing as the backdrop of just this haunted sanatorium. Yeah, that's pretty sick. It's still open or no? I think so. There's been like some weird stuff with the ownership over the years. And I think oh, okay. a few years ago, there was Blossom. talk of them like turning it into some kind of bed and breakfast. That oh, God. Like tourist attraction. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of cool. Like if it's like they're trying to like shop, shop it as like a um, haunted bed and breakfast or whatever. But we actually have one of those as well around here. Well, we probably have several of those around here. But um, yeah, ghosts are a hot topic in Louisiana. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd be a little bit paranoid about staying in the old tuberculosis ward, though, because I'm pretty yeah. sure there's still tuberculosis in the grounds around there. Yeah. I mean, you never know. Yeah. I mean, you'd think it'd be like probably like dead or whatever by that point. but. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. All I remember is like in 2007 when that festival happened, they ran out of water at the concessions and they had to like repeatedly tell people not to drink from the hoses on the ground. Oh my gosh. You could get sick. <laughs> Dude, that's so scary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wonder how many people were affected by that because I'm sure people were doing it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. But um, we had like the that one wasn't even as good as like in my opinion it wasn't as good as like this place that they used to do out in louisville called nightmare forest where oh nice they had like a friday the 13th section of that where so basically they just take you through this whole section of of the bernheim forest in louisville that they've done up as like different haunted house areas 
but there was a Friday the 13th section where they actually had the guy who was Jason come up out of this body of water that was there in the forest. Oh, that's sick. Yeah. Uh, I just went recently with um, with one of my co-hosts from the podcast uh, to a horror festival in, or horror, sorry, horror, horror convention in um, here in Louisiana. And we got to meet the guy that played Jason from the six. I know it's always like a random number, but it was from the six Friday the 13th. And it was really cool. He was like a super cool guy, but he was like seven feet tall and like Jack. But um, yeah, they were all like super. It was a couple other people from the movie, but it was it was super cool. The guy that played Tommy Jarvis was there too, which that was pretty sick. <laughs> yeah. Was the Jason uh Kane Hodder? No, no, no. It's um oh, it was CJ something. CJ oh. something. Yeah, but he was like really, really nice. Yeah. Um yeah, I mean you total opposite of the character he plays. <laughs> You'd hope, I guess, but <laughs> yeah. You don't want any accidents <laughs> on set. <laughs> I mean, it'd be kind of uh, kind of fucked if you go to meet someone at a convention and it's like, oh yeah, I'm an axe murderer in real life too. Yeah, and he just starts choking you the minute you start talking to him. Like, whoa, okay, <laughs> I gotta go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, when you first joined Capra, what was that like? Because I know that you know you kind of joined after the band was formed. Uh, mm-hmm but you know, you're still part of like the formative structure of the band. Yeah. So um, by the time I joined, they had already had like an EP out or something like that. Um, But when I had joined for whatever reason, they were like, yeah, we just kind of want to start fresh. So um, basically ended up scrapping everything that they had before. It was almost like starting a completely new band. Uh, We just ended up keeping... I think it was like three songs that they had written previously, but we just changed the lyrics on them so that I wouldn't be performing somebody else's like intellectual property, basically. Um, And actually the only song that we still play um, from that time is, um, is Red Guillotine. And I think even Samurai Akari maybe was written around that time as well, which was um, from our first album, but we don't really play that one live as much. Not that we are opposed to it. We just have other stuff that we're interested in playing over it. Um, so yeah, it was almost like we kind of, um, we we say technically uh, Jeremy and Tyler have been playing together for uh, in this particular group for, I guess like eight years or something now, but um, Capra as it was kind of, had a little bit of a restart like around the time that I joined or just before the time that I joined they started writing a bunch of new stuff yeah and uh, how did you I guess sort of um initially get into doing vocals and things like that um I started doing vocals with a previous previous group just like as backing vocals kind of didn't really know what I was doing and it was mostly just like yelling it wasn't like screaming or anything like that um it was a lot more similar to what I do on the first album only like way less like rough I guess it was like even more clean if you can imagine that and um Tyler had just reached out to me and was like hey do you think you want to try to start doing vocals for like a hardcore band and I said yeah let's you know why not let's try it out so I did and um ended up like you know enjoying it and it was kind of a um a rocky ride at first because I didn't really know what I was doing or where to start and um eventually thankfully with the help of YouTube and um communicating with other vocalists uh, I kind of ended up just figuring out my footing yeah because one thing that's always kind of stuck out to me is that like it's there's this thing like early on where 
a lot of people who aren't familiar with doing vocals in like metal or hardcore think that oh you just have to go like scream a lot but there's like a whole like art to it and like technique and everything and like making sure you're right. using your diaphragm and not just from your throat right and you can definitely just go into it and just yell um and that's fine if you're doing like one show a week if that um but if you're going for like 30 shows in a row it's like okay you got there's some technique that has to be involved because otherwise you're going to lose your voice by the four, fourth show if you're lucky um and then the rest of the tour you're just going to sound like like squeaky so it's kind of like at, <laughs> at a certain point depending on how much you're doing it you have no choice but to start educating yourself on at least some modicum of technique yeah because like I mean you there's a point when like I know like back when I was a kid and I was like kind of figuring out how to like do these things just from a standpoint of like singing along in like my bedroom or my car at first it was just mm -hmm. like all right, I can kind of feel the back of my throat just like shredding. Like there's a yeah. like whole way to do this. Yeah, I, I will definitely say like the difference in um, back whenever I was like less informed, um, the difference in how I felt after shows is literally like night and day compared to now um, because I would barely be able to talk after shows. And, um, and then the next day, you know, my voice would be like a lot like noticeably weaker um, now I don't start it. I don't start noticing my voice get weaker until like the fourth or fifth day, but I'm still able to sustain what I'm doing. Um, and it's gotten to the point to where we'll have a tour that's a month long and I won't have like lost my voice for any show at all. And I'm like, that's great. Let's like try to keep that going because it's really embarrassing when you have a show that you're playing in front of people that, um, not necessarily, you know, like a ton of people, but like people that you want to impress and you just like do not sound um do not sound your best that's something I try to avoid at all costs yeah I mean on the on the album on errors like you have just like a very strong vocal delivery on that where um it just like it it, it has this sort of um I'm trying to think of like the best way to describe it but I guess maybe I described it earlier uh pretty well already where it's just like very declarative yeah I would agree with you <laughs> <laughs> well I think that comes with the confidence the confidence building a little bit is uh, I'm a little bit less afraid to really like deliver that line and really like back it up you know what I mean I think yeah. for the first one it was kind of like um you know, here it is. Maybe here's like my thoughts. Maybe what do you think of them? And now it's just kind of like, this is what it is. This is how I feel. Point blank period. Like, you know, if you disagree or not, that's fine. But it's like, it's not going to change how I feel. And um, it's just uh, the honest truth. Yeah. I mean, it's, I also just kind of like my takeaway just from listening to it is just like, oh, She's like a bundle of energy and I'm going to like stay out of her path when she's like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I've, <laughs> I've had a lot of people say that it's like pretty um, well, Solana in particular, they say is like, it's pretty surprising how um, they didn't expect me to be as angry as I was for that one. And it's funny because looking back on it, I was like, yeah, I mean, I guess I did feel angry, but I didn't realize how angry I was until in hindsight, after I got it out, I'm like, Sheesh, yeah, I guess I, you know, <laughs> I guess I was pretty mad. 
Yeah, um, I was reading that you're also the daughter of an immigrant. How has that shaped your worldview and just your approach to um, even even things like down to like songwriting? Um, yeah, I mean, I would say that um, because of it and where I grew up in the South, um, I would say that it did contribute a lot to why I maybe necessarily didn't feel like I fit in with everybody or you know, I know that sounds kind of cliche, but I definitely felt like kind of an alien in all regards. I felt like I didn't really have that much in common with the people around me. In addition to already being kind of a weird kid, completely, um, you know, completely separate from my, my heritage and things like that. So kind of my entire life, I uh, got by just being like, okay, like you're different, but it's okay. And I think that it has a lot to do with my writing is um, I was afraid to be too different or I was afraid to have opinions that were too strong just because I didn't know if everybody would agree with them. And I think whenever I started to release that fear and I started to just allow myself to be as honest and authentic as possible in my writing, I think that actually a lot of people who were afraid to be themselves or a lot of people that felt like they didn't belong uh, really are able to identify with that. And I think that that's just so important. Yeah, and I think you uh, also touched on a thing about the South that always stuck out to me uh, just growing up in Kentucky as well, is that like in, especially in rural communities too, like they're so homogenous that even right. though, um, you know, people in those communities might be nice, but it's like, it's so homogenous that you still feel out of place if you're just a little bit different. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's like, you know, nice is not necessarily the same thing as like actually like being able to make a connection with somebody. So sure, they'll be polite or they'll be, you know, not necessarily even accepting. They'll be kind, but um, they may not necessarily understand. And uh, that's something that's pretty difficult to deal with, especially as a child, feeling like you don't have anybody to talk to or anybody that understands you. It's uh, it's something that really, really affects you kind of all of your life. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean that like, it's one of those things that kind of like socially kind of sticks with you up through like high school and like, you know, eventually getting out of that area or just like finding the group that you do belong with. You always just kind of have this thing in the back of your mind where you always remember what it felt like to feel like even just a little bit off. Right. Right. And it, yeah, that's exactly right. It kind of stays in the back of your mind is like, maybe it manifests, manifests itself as anxiety. But if you're talking to somebody and then like, maybe halfway through the conversation, your brain starts being like, they think you're weird or they, you should end this conversation right now and walk away because it's not going anywhere. I have that all the time where um, a lot of the time where I'm having a conversation with somebody, maybe I'll be enjoying it at first. And then all of a sudden my brain just like flips a switch and says like, you're acting weird right now. And so sometimes I have to just be like, stop thinking that like that's not a rational way of thought like there's no way that I'm walking around and everyone just thinks I'm a creep you know like there are people out there that are enjoying having conversations with me um so that's definitely something that I've had to work against and I think that that stems from just like my younger years of not really fitting in or things like that yeah when I was uh around the time I was a teenager like I kind of hit this point where the best way for me to combat that was to just like lean into it and just start being weird just to fuck with people right and so now yeah. like then once I got older I had to like figure out that oh I don't have to fuck with everyone because 
not everyone is going to be the same as everyone that I had kind of encountered in my hometown most of the time. Like, right. There are people who are going to be into the same kind of stuff. Yeah, definitely. I would always do that. I would do the same thing, like kind of early, in my early twenties or late teens as I really was like, well, yeah, let's totally like, yeah, lean into it and just make it my entire personality that I'm weird. And then it's like, okay, well, I don't want that to be like my shtick. You know, I, I think that there's like, probably as I've gotten older, I've been like being unique is like what I'm striving for. Like being unique and memorable, that's fine. But like just striving to be weird is maybe not necessarily like, you know, what I'm going for anymore. I think I I just want to be myself, I guess. Yeah. I, I kind of have to appreciate too, though, that like in the last decade, especially, it seems like society overall has become a little bit more broadly accepting of uniqueness so like maybe these things won't be as much of an issue for people in like another decade or two yeah definitely I think it's just like um a matter of like I hate to say it this way but I think it's just a matter of like a lot of the um people that were adults when we're younger or like very old now and maybe don't aren't able to have as strong opinions so um now we're starting to see people that um were born in a different time are like the older people or the adults now and um I think that that kind of shapes a lot of uh how we view society is just like who is like the old person now you know and do they accept us I guess I know that sounds like a really weird way to explain it but I, I think maybe maybe you understand what I'm trying to say here yeah I mean like <laughs> The closer you get to wearing diapers again, the less relevant your opinion is. <laughs> right. Yeah, basically. And yeah, a lot of the people that were a little bit more reserved in uh, their interests, I think now are kind of, you know, getting to that point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so you mentioned earlier that Halloween's one of your favorite franchises. Uh, I was mm-hmm. talking a couple of weeks ago on the show to Wednesday 13 about this. Um on the last like reboot series of Halloween, how did you feel about Halloween ends? So I actually admittedly did not watch the newest stuff they came out with. I think that it was just like difficult for me to wrap my mind around it. I definitely need to. I have a lot of trouble with, um, I'm going to be totally honest here. I have a lot of trouble with reboots and like remakes and stuff like that. Um, it's not that I like automatically I'm like no no remakes no reboots because the um, new evil deads for example really enjoyed them um but I'm a little bit more skeptical I think of them so I'm maybe less likely um to go and watch those uh, whenever I could just like rewatch the older ones and I hate to say it like that because it kind of makes me sound like an asshole but um but I've heard you know I've heard uh varying opinions about how that one went um so I definitely am gonna have to go back and watch it but like I said, I, I couldn't really comment. Yeah, you know, I uh, I understand where you're coming from. Oh wait, do you thing. mean? I'm sorry. Do you mean the the series that um, Rob Zombie did, or you mean the stuff that really recently just came oh, out? Oh yeah, the really recent ones, not the Rob Zombie. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't, yeah, yeah. Seen, I the haven't seen ones. Yeah, you did what? I didn't watch the Rob Zombie ones. I actually do recommend. Really? Do you rec- well, the first one, the first one. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've, I've heard that, and uh, I just haven't gotten around to checking it out. Right. It's like. I like Rob Zombie's movies in general, right? but well, there are times yeah, where I'm just shirt. like, I have to be <laughs> in the right mood. I hear you. I mean, I hear you. I will say the cool thing about the um, first remake that he did, um, or the first Halloween remake that he did, was that they focused a lot more 
on Michael, uh, which I thought was like way cool because in the original Halloween movie, it was more so like, well, you honestly, um, in hindsight, don't really learn much about Lori's life, obviously, because they wanted to be able to use that for the sequels. But um, you don't really learn much about Lori's life other than like, here she is an awkward teenage girl, but it is for all intents and purposes, she is the main character. Um, but for the Rob Zombie version, they really um, talk a lot about his home life. Um, they talk a lot about like potentially why he is the way that he is. Um, and they actually like follow like his experience in the psych ward, things like that. And I thought that that was like way cool and it made it really interesting. And he kind of made it, uh, Rob Zombie kind of made it his own. And I thought that was, um, super, super, um, unique and just interesting. I'll have to check that out on the most recent series that they did. Halloween 2018 is really good. Like you basically just have to go into that from the perspective that the first Halloween happened and then none of the other movies after it happened and the whole series just picks up with Halloween 2018. But right. that movie has one of my favorite just like single continuous shot segments in it where it's just Michael going from house to house throughout Haddonfield. Nice. And then um, I have heard good stuff about that one yeah that one's good then it just kind of goes downhill like the second one is they just shoehorned in this weird like subplot with heavy-handed like social commentary that feels out of place right and then which is we... kind of what happened with the new texas chainsaw from what i hear <laughs> oh, i haven't seen that one yet i, I haven't I either because of that first reboot <laughs> what's that i felt burnt by the first uh, texas chainsaw reboot back in like the 2000s are you serious yeah, like that's it one just... of my favorite remakes ever. <laughs> I get it. I mean, I get it. It's it's different yeah. from the first movie, but I love that remake. I think it's incredible. Yeah, I mean, maybe I just need to watch it again. I, I think maybe so. Just I don't like know. the 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 original um, has one of my favorite unintentionally funny scenes like ever. I think I know which one you're talking about. <laughs> where she just like runs off and leaves her brother in the wheelchair okay yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean well like running, honestly she she's like, i'm gonna abandon my brother now yeah there's a lot of really messed up scenes with franklin unfortunately but it's like <laughs> Shoosh. yeah but i do like that remake i think it's 2004 2006 or something like that but uh, i thought it was like the cast was like way stacked like really great cast um and i think that there's like there's a scene near the end of the movie that um, I can probably just say it. It's such an old movie now. It doesn't really matter with spoilers, but uh, the part where Leatherface turns around and he's wearing the boyfriend's face is like really, really like, oh my God, like your stomach just drops when you see that. It's so creepy. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I know that um, in House of a Thousand Corpses, Rob Zombie kind of like cribs something like that where uh, one of the, oh no, it's in Devil's Rejects. Right. Um, with the, cheerleader yeah. thing or wait is that house of a thousand corpses or the cheerleaders the I three think... cheerleaders that they kidnap yeah i can't remember which one that is yeah it's house of a thousand corpses and then okay. in um uh devil's rejects they put the husband's face on like the lady because she runs out of the motel when she finally gets free and she's got like her husband's right. face like strapped to her face and then that semi-truck hits her yeah, it's been so long since I've seen it. It's been a year, literally in high school was the last time I saw that movie, but I'm gonna have to go back and rewatch it because my it's one of my one of my co-hosts like favorite movies. And I think I just need to do her the favor of rewatching it. Yeah, like it's it's this weird mashup of like a horror movie and a 70s like easy rider road trip movie. 
Yeah, well, that's what makes it so cool is like there's nothing really like it, at least that came out around the same time. Yeah. yeah and then the third movie in that trilogy is not too bad either. Which one was the third one? It was uh, Three from Hell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I never I never even ended up watching that one. It's uh, it's pretty good. It's um, I've only seen it once, so I can't really say where it stands against the other two, like overall, because uh, right. I need to watch it again. But it's uh, it's at least as good as the other two. Got it. <laughs> I'll add it to the the never ending list. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like the only movie that he's done that like I really had trouble getting into when I was watching it was uh, Thirty One, because there was just a point in that where I was just kind of like, okay, can we just kind of get to the point here? <laughs> yeah, I feel like that one was his most um, controversial as far as like the reviews were totally mixed. Well, I'm not going to say totally mixed. I feel like most people probably didn't like it very much. Um, just from what I've heard. Um, but yeah, I was, um, that was like around the era of whenever I kind of like had stopped watching a lot of his movies, not for any reason. It just so happened to be that way, but I need to go back and watch. Never saw Lords of Salem, heard really good stuff about it. Um, there's going to have to be a day. Well, I hear great things about that one, but just don't hear great things about 31. And I feel like they came out around the same time. It was like within the same two or three years. Right. Yeah. But um, I'm going to have to like pick a day where I just watch like Rob Zombie movies that I haven't seen um, and then just like go from there. So that way I'll have a fresher take on it and maybe rewatch the ones I have seen. It is kind of a mixed bag overall, though. (laughs) Yeah, true. Gotta be, you know, risk taking. Yeah. So are you like a big costume person? Um, kind of, Yeah, I mean, I used to be really into like cosplay stuff. So um, I used to like make a lot of costumes or buy a lot of costumes and stuff. But um, I'm kind of at a point where mm, I have to focus my finances elsewhere <laughs> yeah. just because it ends up being pretty expensive. Um, but I am at the moment actually working on a pretty serious DIY project for Halloween. My Halloween costume is going to be um, Amanda when she's in the reverse bear trap from Saw. So I just finished the build on the reverse bear trap today. All I have to do is paint it, but it's just like some glue is drying. It's going to take like a few days to dry. So I'm going to give it the entire weekend to just kind of like do its thing. And then next week I have like a week to like finish painting it and then like finish the rest of the costume, which is just like a purple shirt and a skirt basically. I just have to kind of cut it up and add blood to it yeah yeah that sounds pretty dope I um... it looks pretty sick actually from foam it's all <laughs> out of foam I was shocked that it ended up looking so good you know I saw a sick like a uh, Cenobite costume on your Instagram too um, oh, yeah it just kind of like stuck out to me because it was is really well done thanks yeah it was just like a random like we were like we want to do like original Cenobite characters like where we because if I tried to do pinhead like for the photo shoot it would probably take me hours to get ready for it so I said let's just like do a slit throat and like do the bald cap and stuff which was really funny like trying to get that thing over my hair and um we like I basically covered myself in gray paint so none of that was like editing it was all like makeup and stuff so by the time I got home there was a lot of scrubbing involved (laughs) (laughs) yeah I had like just like a line of like flesh tone (laughs) whenever I ripped the bald cap off and then it was just like everything else was gray (laughs) (laughs) I had this, uh, this whole thing, a similar thing happened, um, back in like 2018, I decided I was going to be, uh, Poppy Emeritus from Ghost. Oh, okay. And when I went to wash the makeup off, uh, 
I was stuck for like the better part of a day with my eyes still darkened in because I'd put like yeah. the spray on that makes the makeup not run. Right, right. So I went from like being like skullhead face guy to being like Pete young Wentz charming for a few uncle days Fester. Or something. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like some emo like eyeliner guy liner situation going on yeah. <laughs> yeah no there's uh one of my favorite hard times uh articles from recently just speaking of hellraiser was uh mm-hmm. i don't know if you've seen it or not but there's a thing that they published maybe a week or two ago it's supposed to be like an op-ed that's written by pinhead and the title <laughs> is i'm a cinnabite from hellraiser and i heard you've been calling me an unpleasant name <laughs> because i guess it's like supposed to be that like the name pinhead is derogatory toward it oh god okay (laughs) yeah that's pretty funny yeah i'm gonna have to look into that i haven't like seen any hard time it felt like hard times kind of died off a little bit after like 2015 yeah they got um i think they got bought by like the same people that own revolver now oh really yeah oh wait i'm thinking of the onion but it was kind of the same thing right hard times and the onion hard times was like more music based though i feel like yeah because the hard times was all just kind of like punk and metal culture oriented right i'm uh, thinking of the onion the onion like totally died off after like 2014 2015 oh yeah the onion's been like bought and sold uh a handful of times since like 2014 i think right I think uh, AV Club might even be like split off from them now. Like I used to oh, do dang. stuff for AV Club back in the day. And uh, I don't think it's like anywhere near the same site that it used to be. Oh, wow. Um, no offense to AV Club, though. If they right. want to have me freelance again. Yeah. Please accept my apologies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure they'll understand. <laughs> but um, yeah, so uh Going back to, you know, what we were talking about as far as like, you know, getting uh, in the swing of things with your voice and, you know, kind of keeping it in shape on tour, what are some of the other adjustments that you've had to make as, you know, you all have become more regular, just like kind of road dogs, for lack of a better term? Um, I've had to become a lot better uh, because in my regular life, and my husband will attest to this, I am really bad about hydrating. Uh, but that's kind of not an option when you're on tour. Otherwise, you could potentially get very sick. So I end up, um, I have to like calculate the amount of water that I drink like every day. And I try to like space it out over the course of the day. But I have to have at least 3,000 milliliters prior to my show. And then after about half as much. So like, so 1500 milliliters after a show. So it's like a ton of water. Um, I have to like find ways to like sleep, even though I'm like not in a comfy bed. So, um, I have to get as much sleep as possible in the van. Um, usually a lot of that time, a lot of the time that happens, like at the venue, I'll just like, after everybody's out of the van, I'll like lay out on the like bench seat and just try to get like an hour or two if I can. Um, because if I don't like accumulate at least like at least seven hours prior to a show, you know, from show in between shows, basically, um, then I will get sick because I get sick very easily. Um, So it's all stuff like that. It's all basically just like aggressive self-care over the course of like not a lot of time, Um, just because I'm expelling a lot of energy, sweating a lot and, you know, kind of just like beating myself up up on stage every night. Yeah. Yeah, I know from like everyone uh, that I know who's in bands, everyone's kind of got their their tricks that they develop over time. And 
you know, the, I guess each band kind of has like its own sort of like van culture too. like, Oh, the back, like, you know, seat is like the sleeping seat or whatever and things like that. Right. Well, we actually only have one bench seat and we have a merch guy. So that makes five of us. So we have two people in the front and then the bench seat is like totally full with shoulder to shoulder. And then it's all just like equipment in the back. So we actually don't have a second bench seat. So we all have to just figure out how to sleep, like with our head against like a pillow against the window or something and just like swap out the middle seat if, uh, you know, if we can basically. Yeah. Yeah, I had some friends uh, who eventually started touring in like a short bus and kind of solved that problem for them. But I mean, that's like finding a short bus and like being able to buy it. (laughs) Right. Yeah, it's uh, definitely, definitely a dilemma. Yeah. Is there anything else that you want to put out there? Uh, I've had you for about an hour and I don't want to take up too much of your day. Um, I'll probably just mention that, um, we are about to go out for like a few days, uh, leading up to the, uh, Dia de los Deftones in November. So I think it's like a few dates. There's like, um, I think it's maybe some in Texas and I'm not sure. I don't remember exactly where the other one is, but it's, um, on our Instagram. Everything can be found on our Instagram. It's where we're the most active. And then we play Dia de los Deftones in, uh, San Diego, November 4th. So um, that's what we've got going on for the rest of the year. We're really excited about that. Basically, I think that's it. Yeah, and uh, I think I missed you all the last time that you're in Chicago, but I'll be sure to check you out next time that you're in town. Oh, we'll be back. We go to Chicago a lot. Yeah, it's on the nice little like straightaway stretch, like right up uh, north to south. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's hard to pass it up. Yeah, well, uh, thanks again for taking the time to do this today, Crow. And uh Everyone check out Errors out now on Metal Blade and check out the Terror Takeover podcast. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for having me.